<laughs> it's all in His plan. It's all in His plan. You are in His plan. And I can truly say that to you that are born again. You are in His plan. We are in the book of Romans, so if you have your Bibles, we can go there to the book of Romans. <clears throat> you know you've been there a while when you take your Bible, flip it open, and it opens to Romans. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 is where we're at this morning. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but, by, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? So that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, we've talked about the therefore. Why is it there? Why is this verse there? based on what happened before, right? All of this is based on what's already taken place. The theological exegesis has gone through our 11 chapters. And they ended with eschatological chapter, amen? <laughs> All these chapters of God in His greatness, in His goodness. Literally, what Russ says in Romans chapter 8, verse 26-28, the, the predestined, foreknown, called, uh, glorified, uh, that whole package is found already in, in chapters 1 through 11. That's what he's dealing Based on that, based on that, I urge you, I urge you, and this is the big deal. Many people say, well, that's a, just an urge, it's not a command. Well, here's the deal who's urging who here? God is urging Christians. Amen? So this isn't just from Paul, some human. This is from God urging you on what basis? On the basis of all of His mercies that He has given you. Any Christian that looks at that and says, yeah, it's just a, it's an option, has got a problem. They have a problem with God. Based on all that God has given you, I urge you, God is saying, to do what? To present your bodies as a living sacrifice. To present your bodies, your whole being, for His service. And we dealt with many of these things. This is a living sacrifice, which is unique. This is a holy sacrifice, which is unique. And it's a sacrifice, which brings out the idea of this Old Testament picture of the sacrifices that were made. Acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. If you calculate all the mercies of God, how can you not present your bodies as a living sacrifice? That's the idea. It's rational. It's reasonable. It's, well, duh. That's what it is. Literally, if you look at all the mercies of God, and then you're, you've got this, should I sacrifice my body or not? It's, well, duh. That's what you end up at. And that's what he's trying to express. Now, last week we talked about what this rational or spiritual logikos means we've gone through and I, I, i'm sorry i don't want to redo the whole powerpoint presentation every sunday because i want you to understand what's going on through all this god's infinite mercies placed on the balance to our goodness <laughs> there is no balance paul how he exemplified it <clears throat> so now be conformed to this world. Be not conformed to this world. What is that? Be not conformed. That is a command by God to believers. Is it not? 
It is a direct command from God to believers. Do not be conformed to this world. You don't act like this world. You don't look like this world. You don't smell like this world. You don't taste like this world. You do not be conformed to this world. That is a direct command from God Almighty. That's important. Instead, we are to be what? By the way, we learned that confirmation being conformed is a passive verb. In other words, just live life normal and you're going to be conformed to the world. To whatever culture says is normal. We discussed that. We discussed what the world means. It's this world order. It's this present life. It's this culture, if you will, that we live in. Why does God command us not to let the world conform us? Because the world is in cahoots with Satan. That's why. And we are not to love the world. And we're going to get into this verse a little bit more today. We are not to love the world. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. And we preached through that last week. I'm going to give you more this week. Why? So that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. By the way, see this little word here. This, this word, good. I went through, I don't know how many commentaries, and tried to find out what are they saying about the good. Do you know, they don't talk about that word. They don't talk about what's good. They talk about what's acceptable and perfect as sacrifices and they go through that, all that. But they just kind of don't say anything about the good. And we're going to talk about that this morning. I'm really excited about that because I'm pretty excited about it. It's something I learned this week. But be transformed. Metamorpho, transform. It's another passive verb. God will transform your mind if you are bringing in, renewing your mind, right? Renewing it. All right. So, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. In a sense, just living conforms us to the world, but God gives us a practice that will transform us. We must renew our minds. How are we to renew our minds? How are we to do that? The Bible says, let the word of God richly dwell in you. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. The word have I treasured in my heart that I might not sin against thee. So, that's where we preached on already. So we are all the way up to the, where we're at, right? I think it's important. Why do we want our minds renewed? It's so that we may prove what the will of God is. That which is good, acceptable, and perfect. In a <clears throat> results of renewing our mind, what happens? Well, we want to do what God wants us to do. We will do the will that God has planned because it's in God's will. How many understanding this? That's what we're going to talk about this morning, is our will will be His will. By the way, what is the most dangerous place to be in this world? How many of you would say Ukraine is probably one of the most dangerous places to be in this world? Some people would say Detroit. Is one. I hope not. I have some connections there now. But... Some people say, just in the world is a dangerous place to be in this world. On the wrong side of the IRS. Or whatever the case may be, but we, we, we think of all these things are, that are the worst places to be in the world. As a Christian, what is the worst place to be in the world? Outside of God's will. It is. 
Now, just for a second, we just read what God said. Be not what? Conformed to this world, but be transformed by being saturated in his word. Is that not what he said? Yes. So outside of his will, God desires you. He wills for you as a believer to be saturated in his word. Is that not the truth? So if you're not saturated in the word of God, you are outside of God's will. Does that make sense? It makes absolute sense. The most dangerous place you as a believer can be is not renewing your mind. Is being conformed to the world because that's exactly what God does not want you to do. What is this will of God? Worked the term, if you would look at the, uh, a lexicon and understand what the Greek and the, and the English coming together, uh, what it means, it's, it's one, what one wishes to bring about by the activity of others to whom one assigns a task. Let me ask you, has God given a task for every single believer? Yes or no? Absolutely. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. In that text, Paul is is begging them, you need to understand what the will of God is. And do you know what the will of God is? Do right. (laughs) As a youth pastor for 20 years, I was a youth pastor in Wisconsin, 45 minutes from the Taj Mahal of Green Green Bay, yes, if you know what I mean. And uh, invariably, the number one question I heard all the time Pastor, how can I know the will of God? As a teenager, that's a fair question. As a young person, that's a fair question. As an adult, that's a fair question. As a mature Christian, I don't know. Because God has already told you what the will of His is, right? What is it? Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, if you're not being renewed day after day after day after day, it's your will and it's against God's. You're going to be choosing the wrong way. You're going to be going the wrong direction. It's being renewed here. Listen, folks, God's will for every believer is to be renewed in their mind. It is. Understand. It wants you to understand the, why. Because to do right, that's what you need to do. First Peter 2.15. Will of God, that you will know the will of God by, by what? Doing right. Doing right. God's will is that you do right. First John 5.30. I do not seek my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. Who said that? Here's God in the flesh. And what does He say? Not my will, but thine be done. Listen, if Jesus says that, why don't we say that? How many understand this? This world, this country is all about me. It's all about me. At least according to secularism. So, this is the will of God. To do right. To seek His will. To follow after Him. To be holy. To be saturated in the Word of God. To be renewed in the mind. Not to be conformed to the world. One of my favorite professors that I grew up with taught me how to preach. I love him dearly. I asked him, I sat him down, and I said, hey, what's the difference between a mega church and a fundamental Baptist church that's, you know, it's, it's growing, um, but it's growing into maturity? What's the difference? He looked at me, he says, because we never talk about what we're not, but what we are. What do you mean? It's not about don't do, it's about do. 
Well, let me ask you, in this text, in Romans 12 too, probably one of the most popular verses, is it about just doing or it's also about not doing? How many understand that? Do not be conformed to this world. Listen, if you're teaching maturity by saying do, 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 but nothing about the nots, you're not preaching the whole counsel of God. Now, the Bible, the text that we're in says prove. What does that mean? Prove the will of God. What does that mean? By the way, look at the Greek word there. How many are understanding why we're putting the Greek words up there? Does anybody have a clue? Does anybody care? Look at the word and try to find a word in English that sounds just like that. Try to pronounce it in your mind and then think about a word that goes along, an English word that goes along with that. How many see document? It's exactly that. It's describe the quality of being approved or the act of testing or proving documenting the truth amen it's right there to prove the bible says it examine everything carefully test it how many understand that examine it first thessalonians chapter 5 verse 21 examine it very closely very carefully romans 2:18 and know his will and approve the things that are essential approve that's that same idea Approved because it's been tested. You know, let me ask you, you know what's right and wrong. Now, are there decisions you make that they're both, they're, they, they, I don't know what to do. So what does the Bible say about those types of decisions? By the way, those types of decisions do happen, but I think they happen more regularly than they ought to. Does that make sense? Because you can rationalize to sin easily. Matter of fact, I will tell you, there are many Christians today that are rationalizing abortion. Here's what they say. I see their point of view. Listen, folks. Is every creature created in the image of God? Every humanity? Absolutely. Is a child born, or is a child alive? Is it exist? at the moment of con conception. Yes. Is abortion murder? Yes. There's only one way that is reasonable for someone to have an abortion ethically. Possibly. I'm not advocating it. I'm not... How many understand that? And that is one. You have an ethical issue between do I kill myself or my child? How many understand that? It's never right to take a life. There's your choices. Is that an ethical dilemma? Yes, it is an ethical dilemma. But that is so minute, people use it as an excuse to explode it, right? The issue is, test yourself to see if you're in the faith. We have to prove these things. And a multiple of counselors, amen, multiple biblical counselors will help, amen. Again, that's why you're in a church. Not that they tell you what to do and what not to do. The text does that. It's to help when these ethical decisions are very difficult to navigate through. Prove, test them. How are they document the documentation idea? Then the good, I love this. Useful, satisfactory. So this, in the, so we are to prove what is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect to whom. We're testing to see if what I'm doing is good, or acceptable, or perfect to whom. To God. Now, why people don't study this, I don't understand. It just, I, I don't understand. Maybe I'm just wacko. Maybe you've got a wacko preacher and you need to fire him. That would be, if that's what God wants, then bring it on. I'm telling you, 
I don't know why people don't talk about this. Being useful, satisfactory for one's purpose, fitting, beneficial. Literally, one of my favorite authors just totally skipped over it. Didn't talk about it at all. And then the guys that should, I mean, the, 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 the guys that should be talking about it aren't talking about it. Why? I don't know. Maybe I'm missing something. If you have an idea, come tell me. But where do we know that God said, here's what, get this. Let's go all the way back to the book of Genesis 1. It's not hard. Genesis chapter 1, he created man and he said, it is good. Matter of fact, let's take our Bibles and go back there. It is so important. Genesis chapter 1. Part of the dissertation I'm writing deals with this, chapters 1 and 2, a lot. So, let's just start in chapter 1 and let's just walk through it. So, in verse 4, God saw that the light was good. Called the night, day, and day, day, night, separated the waters. Morning and day were second day, uh, verse 8. Let the waters below be gathered in one place, let the land appear. And it was so, God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then, verse 18, and to govern the day, the sun and the moon and the stars, so the lights to separate the light from darkness, and God saw that it was good. Then he brings in the creeping things and animals. Verse 25, made the beasts of the earth after their kind, the cattle after their kind, and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then he made man, And down, it, it talks about making mad, then go all the way down to verse 31. God saw that all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Okay, is Paul bringing a comparison to the holiness of Adam and all of the creation and what he expects now? Yes or no? Absolutely. There has to be a connection. The good God says this is good. And by the way, if he says this is good, that means he also said this is bad. There's some bad, but this is good. That's what God wants. He wants us like Adam. What was Adam? Before the fall, he was good. He was perfect. He was holy. That's what God wants now. So, whoa, hold on. That could never be. You already are in Christ, positionally. He wants you to be being sanctified day after day. He wants you to grow in good works. Amen. By the way, that's why you were saved, according to Ephesians 2. Matthew 25, 25. God, here's God. This is Matthew 25. The end of the chapter is about what? You start with the ten virgins. We preached this about two months ago. And then you go right into what? The parable of the talents. And in the talents, what happens? They're two good and one bad. The good ones take the talent, use it, and God is glorified. And this is what he said. Well done. Good and faithful servant. That's what God wants. Amen. Good and faithful servant. He uses the term. First Peter, 5, or First Peter 4, and there's multiple in First Peter here. Good stewards is what God wants. He wants us to be good. Let me ask you, parents, do you want your children good? 
How encouraged are you when they're good? How discouraged are you when they're bad? There should be more bald-headed guys in here and ladies in here than there are. Because when they're bad, after you just tell them what's right and wrong and they just go ahead and do it, it's like pulling your hair out, is it not? Is it not the same with God? Not only is it to be good, it's to be acceptable. The idea is what is acceptable to God. That's the idea. That's the definition. What does God accept? Well, he'll accept good because we just found that out. What is acceptable? Leviticus chapter 1 verse 9 gives the same idea. This soothing aroma to the Lord. When your good deeds smell great to God. Amen? Because they're of Christ. They're a soothing aroma. They're, um, Ezekiel says the same thing. A soothing aroma that I will accept you. Here's the deal. They would take that sacrifice, they put it on the altar, and they burn it, and that smoke was a soothing aroma. Now, to me, I get it. My wife hates this, but I stick that ham in a cold smoker, and I'm just smelling that smoke all day long. It smells good. How many know what I'm talking about? Or coming up this month, if the ice ever goes out, you're going to have suckers time, and you'll, you'll grab those suckers. And I'm not calling people suckers. These are literal suckers, all right? <laughs> those black suckers, those white suckers, and the red horse, you grab them up, you split them down the middle, you put brown sugar and a whole bunch of cool sauces on them, stick them in a smoker. Oh, that smell is like, oh, wow. It's rich. It smells wonderful. How many of you know exactly what I'm talking about? The grill, right? The grill. This is the idea. Well, that's, it permeates everything. That's what God... I love the smell. And in this, is talking specifically about the literal sacrifices. He's also talking about the works we produce as sacrifices. Clement 64. Now, say, well, that's not Bible. No, it's history. At the same time, and by the way, it is history. Got it? History is fallible. But first, Clement, this is the idea is it's well pleasing to God's name. Could you imagine? And I'm going to use a sports analogy. Not that you've participated in this. Some of you probably have, some of you haven't. It, it is irrelevant to it. But um, could you imagine a vegetarian tailgate party? You get it, right? Those tailgate parties are full of Johnsonvilles. Or, I don't know what else, grillers. <laughs> or what? But that sweet aroma. That's what God expects from us. It's well-pleasing to Him. The perfect... Perfect has the idea of, of attaining to an end or a purpose, meeting the highest standard perfect. What does that sound like when he says perfect sacrifice? Christ. He's the only one that is or was the perfect one. Now, there were people that, as far as a, the unsaved or, 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 or the world, the unblemished lamb, right? The idea of, so that's all part of that. James chapter 1, you may be perfect and complete. Now, some people take this to an nth degree. How many have ever heard of the, um, uh, I say their, their name so wrong a lot, perfectionism. The, uh, they believe in perfectionism. Kessicks, Kessicks, Kessicks. John and Wesley, yes, John and Charles Wesley were Keswick. They were Wesley, Wesley uh, Methodists were born out of that, but they were Keswicks. Um, Dallas Theological Seminary was started by a Keswick. D.L. Moody was a Keswick. These guys were Keswick people. They literally believed 
in the second blessing of God. In other words, you are saved, and then sometime down the road, he becomes Lord of your life. And when he becomes Lord of your life, you start a progressing into a perfect person, and you can obtain it according to them. Folks, that's baloney. All of that's baloney. The reality is, at the moment of salvation, you have changed masters. Your body is not your own, therefore glorify God in your body and in your flesh. The idea is, we are growing spiritually from day one. Amen? It's not an optional. James says that you may be perfect and complete. What does that mean? We are perfect and complete positionally in Christ. But we are also growing in the Lord, or are we? Are you closer to the Lord today than you were yesterday? Do you know more about Him and know Him better today than you were last week? Perfect and complete. Every perfect gift is from where? This is a key text. And we're going to talk about this today. It's so important. And we'll get into the practical real soon. Every perfect gift is from above. What does that verse say? There's nothing perfect apart from Christ. Is that not true? Absolutely. Ephesians 4.13, I think this tells a whole lot of it. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. We are all obtaining and becoming more and more like Christ. That is the normal Christian sanctification. That is what is expected by God. That is what is being urged. I will say this, Scripture is not just informational, which I just gave you in the last half hour. I gave you all this information. But it's not simply informational, it's transformational. It's not just about this, it's about this. For from Him and through Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. Do not love the world. This is what it comes down to. This is the practical application of what I, all the information I gave you from Romans chapter 12. Do not love the world. Same thing. The only reason we're conforming to the world is because we love what the world can give us. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. He knew we would rationalize this. So he takes it a step farther. Not only don't you love the world and its, and its, and its, its uh, uh, culture, and, and, but the things in it we don't love. If any man loves the world, then what? The love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, what is in the world? What, does, what encompasses the world? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It is not of God. It is of the world. And to be honest with you, you could substitute a term in there and be totally correct. It's of Satan himself. The world passes away. Do you know why hell was built? You should know because we just preached on it the last two months. For Satan and his dominions. That hell was made for them and he will spend eternity in that hell. Amen. The world passes away and also its lusts. Also its lusts. That should scare each and every one of us. When I was a, I don't know, 20 years old or so, I could literally sit there and tell you, matter of fact, I can right now, it's 47.9 grains of IMR 4831 with 180-grain ballistic tip in a Winchester 
brass will go 2,878 feet per second out of my 24-inch 30-06 barrel. What an idiot. What an idiot. What? How many people were saved that way? How many understand this? Now, there's nothing wrong with guns. There's nothing wrong with it. But here's the deal. What do you love more? At that moment, I could do that, and I couldn't tell you about the election of God and predestination and all that stuff. It's interesting. Whoever does the will of God lives forever. Ooh. What does that mean? Is that works-based salvation? Here's what it is. Most Christians act like there is. it is. Here's what we get into. How many would agree we need to have our minds renewed? And we know how to renew our minds. So here's what we do. Get up at 5 o'clock in the morning, I'm going to read my Bible. Next morning, 5.10, it was too early. Next day, oh, oh, pretty soon we're not reading our Bible. How many of you got it? Because it's a work. Because the motivation is, I have to do this. I'm commanded to do this, therefore I have to. Just like mom, don't eat the cookies when I'm gone for five hours and I'll be back exactly at six o'clock, 5.50, you're smoking down the last one. Right? The reality is we don't like being commanded to and it's, it's hard on us and we tend not to do it. But what we do do is what we love the most. How many understand that? We do what we love the most. Matter of fact, let's take the cookies again. You do love your mom, but you love your flesh and love that chocolate cake and cookies better than obeying mom. That's why you chose that. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden in Christ. Died to what? Died to the flesh, the things of this world. That's it's nothing. In which you formerly walked according to the curse of, course of this world. This is, this is just, this gets really bad here real soon. According to the prince of the, See, at one time, we were following our flesh and doing everything we wanted in our flesh. But God, who is great in mercy, amen? Verse 4 of this chapter. But at one time, we were... We lived just like the world did in our flesh and appeased them and loved it. Oh, this is great. This is what we're here for. Eat, drink, be merry for tomorrow. We're going to die. Live it up today. I'm glad America has never accepted that philosophy. And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God. This is the key right here. This is the key to your Christian life. I'm telling you, I know it's hard to get up in the morning and read Scripture. It doesn't have to be in the morning, by the way. I know it's difficult. I know it takes... And, and the preachers got to get self-discipline. No! There's, there's something greater motivation than that. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. God doesn't have to tell a Christian to love Him. Amen? Based on the mercies of God, we absolutely love Him. And I will tell you, the more you love Him, the more you'll desire to know Him. And by the way, while you're knowing Him, you're renewing your mind. Again, Scripture is not just simply informational. Scripture is transformational. 
The Bible says sanctify them. How? How are we sanctified? In truth. <sighs> there is only one truth in this world that can be absolutely listened to and obeyed and followed, and that's this book. Nothing! And nobody has the truth apart from this book. Nothing. This is the truth. How many of you are tired of fighting with and arguing about things that you end up being lies? What a waste of my time. So let me ask you, why are you watching news? What's the newspaper going to do for you? I would dare say, and, and I might be totally off base here, most Christians watch news more than they read the text. What a waste of time. See, the problem is we work to renew our mind. And that's the problem. We have to do this. We're going to work on it. So, we have daily Bible reading. How many would agree daily Bible reading is a great thing, a great avenue to renew our mind? Amen? Right. And so, we go into here, okay, I have to do this. You've already lost. You've already lost. Exactly. I want to do this. So, let me ask you this. What takes precedent? And listen, I don't know what you watch. What I don't, I don't know. I, I know what people watch. All right. So HDTV. I don't even know their names, but there's a husband-wife team that I have family members that, oh, they just got to watch that thing. Whoa. Okay, well, now you know how to clean a toilet. Great. What's next? Or whatever. Now, is, is there... Something innately sinful about HGNT or Field and Stream? No, there's not. Let me ask you, which one of those do you love most? There is the issue. Which one occupies more of your time, more of your money? There is the issue. What about listening to sermons? There's some really good preachers out there. Alistair Begg, good preacher. Paul Washer, good preacher. John MacArthur, good preacher. R.C. Sproul, good preacher. Here's the deal. They're all men. They're not going to be perfect. They're going to have problems somewhere, theologically. But listening to sermons, can you your mind be renewed through listening through the text of Scripture preaching? Yes or no? Yes, Absolutely. And folks, we've got these things called the internet and our phones and, and, and the cloud and who knows what else. I don't even know all the IT stuff. But you have access to all that anywhere you want. Anywhere you want. But it's Fox News. And it's sports stations. Which one do we love more? It's, it's not about do this, do this. It's about what do you love more? And we'll go, we'll, we'll go into why that is real soon here. Prayer. Is prayer important? Why do you pray to somebody? Number one, they're greater than you, right? What else? I am, I'm inept. I can't do this. I'll just sleep it off. We'll be fine. I got this. No one's got this. Nobody's got this. Which one do you love more? Reading Bible books. What do I mean by that? I mean like good books, by the way. Not, I died, went to heaven, came back. 
Books like uh, The Kingdom of of God throughout all Scripture. That's awesome. Um, The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. Probably one of the greatest books, little tiny book ever written about who God is. Reading books about the Lord. Are you renewing your mind doing that? Absolutely. Oh, but we've got, what's the latest and greatest AR-15 caliber? I don't know, it goes 50 feet per second faster. What does that mean? Nothing. Nothing. How about romance novels? So, so I try to do guy and girl thing. I hope you see that. I'm not, and by the way, there are guy and girl, and they're different, and they're separate, and they always will be. No matter what they're teaching our first graders. I am so glad my kids are what they are, but I've got grandkids will be coming. Church. Okay, now you've gone too far. No. Here, here's the reality. God created church for you. Do you understand that? You cannot do this on your own. You need to be helped on. All of us do. We all have issues we don't know how to deal with. We rely on each other in the text of the Word. We come together, worship together, and praise the Lord together. And then we get out Monday morning to do the same thing, except then we're alone. By the way, most people hate Mondays because it's about work. That's not why I hate it. It's, I hate Mondays because I'm not with you. Do you understand the mentality there? I'm not with other Christians 100%. But here's what happens. Vacation. No one goes to church. Because we're on vacation. Well, what? <laughs> I will tell you this. There's a pastor here in town that showed up here Sunday morning sat right behind Lincoln and Colton. And after the service, he said, Tim, we're on vacation for two weeks, but we needed to go to church, so we came here. Someone does that? That's the type of love they have for the Lord. Work. Parents, let me tell you something. Please, I beg of you, do not let your children work on Sunday morning church service. It is a pattern they will continue the rest of their life. Matter of fact, I was a teenager once, I know. I would ask, can I work on Sunday? Dads, your job is to be the spiritual leader of this home. You do not do that by using every excuse there is not to go to church. You are failing your family, and that's on you. That is on you. Once in a while, I get it, I understand but it cannot be the norm. I think it's sin for it to be the norm. It is. Sports. Oh, you don't understand. We got this going on today. We got that going on today. What could be more important than worshiping together the greatest God of gods there is? It baffles me. Here's what it is. What do you love more? That's what it comes down to. You see, why is it always a battle? And why is it that we always lose this battle? Because we view it as a work. That's why. 
We're viewing as I have to have my Bible reading. I have to listen to sermons. I have to have prayer. I have to have reading books. I have to have church. And therefore, when we view it that way, it's like, oh, I really don't want to. But if you view it as this is what God desires and this is what pleases God and you love God, you won't, it won't be a have to. I can't wait till sun next Sunday morning. I cannot wait to get into the text that I left off last week. I can't wait to spend time in prayer with God because you love Him so much. Do you know how bad this gets for God? James chapter 4. This is what I told you it was going to get bad. James is talking to Christian people. He says, you adulteresses. We say, what? Was a preacher having an affair? No, the church people were having an affair with the world. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility, or the King James says enmity, enemy toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. How many understand this, what do you love more? There is nothing wrong with all those things I put on the list. Nothing wrong with them. As long as it doesn't encompass your life. Do you truly love the Lord? Because why? Scripture is not simply informational, but transformational how many get this? Now I know it in my head. Okay, now what? It transforms our life. What motivates us? How many of you have a will? If you have a will, put your fist up. I have a will. Because that's what it looks like, right? <laughs> I have a will. Okay. Where does that will come from? Some of you in CE hour have heard this before, and it's, but it's very important. I don't think everybody has. Something makes you choose what you choose. Is that not true? Do you, your hand isn't... How many have ever seen the Munster's hand? It does whatever it wants, right? Adam's, oh, I haven't even known. No, sorry. See, I don't watch that stuff. I'm, good for you, I guess. <laughs> but the Adam's family. All right, whatever. The point is the hand just did whatever it wanted to. Can your hand do whatever it wants to? No, your head tells you, you know, take your finger like this, stick it up your nose, pick that little booger. Whatever it tells you to do, it tells you to do something, right? When we get, when we're really young, we have a problem. When we get really old, we have the same problem, right? But we have control of the hands, right? There's something controlling that. It doesn't say, I don't care what your mind thinks, I'm going to pull your hair. What? It doesn't do that. No. Your will is controlled by what you know and how you feel about what you know. How many understand this? In other words, it's knowledge and action. It's knowledge and your heart. That's a big deal. Here's the problem with that. If your knowledge is not of Christ, then what are you going to choose? You're going to choose the wrong thing. If your knowledge is being renewed day by day and you're saturated with the Word of God, what are you going to choose? The more you're in the text of the Word, whether it's preaching, or preaching, I pray there's some preachers in here, but if, whether you're hearing the preaching sermon or teaching lesson, or it's a, a, online, you're getting, you're getting the text, or you're reading the text yourself and you're studying, whatever that is, the more knowledge is going up, and wow, I didn't know that about God. Man, He's great. Wow, I didn't know that about God. Wow, He's awesome. Wow, I didn't know that. Oh my goodness, He's unbelievable. That's what the, see, the, the, your friends that don't know the Lord, they, what in the world are you doing? They don't get it. Because they don't know God. They don't have the knowledge of who God is, 
what he did for them, what Jesus Christ did for them. And therefore, because they don't have the knowledge, they don't have a heart for God. It's just some weird, wacko people. And then their will will always be wrong. Christian is the same way. You were born in the flesh. We are programmed to be fleshly. But God changed all that. Question is, what do you love? What do you love most? Almost done here. Psalm chapter 40. I delight to do your will. I delight to do your will. That needs to be our heart. I want to. I strive to. I love it. Oh my God, your law is written where? Within my heart. This is so, it's got everything here. I have the information. It has affected my heart and now I delight to do this. It's not I have to. It's not a work. If you're working your Christianity, you're going you're gonna to fail. But if you love God and that motivates you in your Christianity, that's God's plan. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. You see, Scripture is not simply informational. It is transformational. I'm going to sum up in three slides and in three sentences what Romans 12.2 is saying. Number one, the more our mind is renewed, the more we realize God's will for our lives. Renewing our mind must be motivated by knowing, as a result, loving God. That's the motivation. Loving God. And we only love Him because we know Him. Therefore, know God, love God, and the result is you want to please God. This has been a cliche, if you will, in our church for years, probably about 10 years. But I think we miss it. Matter of fact, I think most Christians miss this. I sat in so many demon classes already. They have never, they, they talk about motivation, they talk about the, they, they don't talk about knowing and loving God. They talk about doing this and doing that and this and that. and oh, Stop it. I, I actually did. What, I, I, you see, I'm kind of dumb. Because probably one of the greatest authors, it is, the greatest authors of the books on Johannine literature today. I won't give you his name. I sat under him. And he kept going about, this is your Christian life. This is your Christian life. This is your Christian life. Finally, I, I, was, I was fed up. I said, yes, Tim, what about knowing and loving God as a motivation for all this? Well, that's understood. But it was never taught. So what do you mean? All this falls flat without knowing, loving, and pleasing God. I'm telling you, the key motivation to all our spiritual life as a sacrificial life is loving the Lord. Would you give, would you die for your wife or your husband? Would you die for your children? Why? Because of love, right? Let me ask you, did Christ die for you? See, the only way we can love God is because He first loved us. That's why He did what He did. 
Why are we doing what we're doing? If it's to please the pastor, you forget it. <laughs> if it's to please man, forget it. If it's because i got to do it, forget it. It's because you love the Lord. And unless that's the motivation, you will struggle mightily in all of your Christian life. How many understand this text? I think it's quite clear. And it's pretty awesome. I pray that we will learn how to love God by being saturated in His Word. And that love for God totally transforms our lives because it will. It truly will. Mr. Pierce, can you close in a word of prayer, please?